The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 7. We want to look this morning at suffering. Typically, I will preach the last sermon of the year, if I have an opportunity to do that, on the Word of God and its fundamental importance in our lives. There are other means of grace, obviously, that we speak on and preach on, the ministry of prayer, the means of grace of the fellowship of the saints and the church. But we don't usually think about suffering in the same terms. And yet suffering, the gift of suffering, we might say, is something God gives to his people. It's under the sovereign hand of God. We know that even the evil things of this world are under his sovereign care, and not a hair falls from our head apart from his will. So we want to look at that theme this morning in light of 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 7. Listen to God's word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Suffering is all around us and in all of our lives to some degree, from the heart-rending tragedies to the everyday heartaches. Suffering can come in a moment of bad news that can forever change your life, your life on this earth. On the afternoon of Christmas Eve, 
this week, our family was having a time of celebration at our house. We had just had a gift exchange, and we were about to sit down for an early afternoon meal so we could get here in time for the primary choir set up before the early service, Christmas Eve. And the meal was being put on, the water glasses were being filled, when our two daughters saw that it had just begun to snow, and they decided to step out into the front yard. They put on their coats and went out into the front to stand in the snow and watch the snowfall. And suddenly, we heard the piercing cry at the front door, Call 911! Call 911! A parent's heart immediately leaps into his throat. And it turned out that they were both fine. But there had been a car crash at the intersection of our house, and a car had come sliding up into our yard right at them, stopping a few dozen feet away from them, one with a baby strap to the front of her, of course. So of the five people in the car crash, two of them young children, only one was seriously hurt, and he's on the road to recovery. I visited him in the hospital this week, and he's out of ICU and doing well. He'll be in rehab for a number of weeks. But after all the emergency vehicles were gone, and the fire trucks, and the police, and everything, it was very strange to sit down to our Christmas Eve dinner about an hour plus late when our family room had been turned into a mini infirmary with people in there and emergency workers in there. We never know when bad news is going to come. It can come in a dramatic way, or it can creep up in quiet and hidden ways that most people in your life may not know anything about. Suffering comes in many forms. A conflict-filled marriage, parents facing a severe problem with one of their children, Broken relationships, alienation, loneliness, teenagers suffering in a difficult home environment or maybe being bullied at school, children being victimized in their very own homes, long-standing health problems, physical disabilities, major financial setbacks, or unfulfilled desires for plans in your life, maybe for career or for marriage, infertility. The list of suffering and potential suffering goes on and on. And there's no doubt, Scripture paints a very clear picture that Christians are not immune from the sufferings of this life. And if you haven't experienced much of it in your life, if you're young, then you will eventually. But the message of the Bible is that God meets his people in the midst of the suffering Of their lives. And he uses it powerfully in their lives. And this morning we want to look at that theme as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our first point is this God meets us in our suffering with resurrection power. God meets us in the midst of our suffering with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 describes it this way But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This treasure is what he's been talking about in verse 6. He said that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Christmas is all about the incarnation, Jesus coming, the God-man coming into this world to redeem a people for himself. And when we experience that by salvation, by grace through faith, and we see the glory and the beauty of Christ, it is like God shining out of darkness into our hearts, Paul writes. And he shines into our hearts to give this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. That's the treasure that every Christian has in this jar of clay. And that's resurrection power at work. In fact, the point of this verse is that such all-surpassing power is at work in jars of clay, shows something. It proclaims something. It says, it shows that this power is from God. It's not of us. It's from God. Verse 10 puts it in a similar way. It says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Christians are experiencing the death of Jesus in a sense. They're going the way of the cross. They're following Jesus. And yet at the same time, there is the resurrection power of Christ. There is the life of Jesus Christ at work in them. God meets us in our suffering with resurrection power to reveal Christ in us and through us. How does he do that? Verse 11 says, For we who are live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What does he mean by that? Maybe we could think of it this way. The sufferings that we experience, as we face these sufferings as part of the way of the cross for us, as we trust in Jesus through them, as God uses these sufferings to turn us away from our natural self-sufficiency and pride, these sufferings under the hand of God make us more like Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ is revealed in us. The character of Christ is revealed. Isn't that an incredible truth when you think about suffering? Because of Jesus' resurrection power, Paul is saying, death, verse 12, death is at work in us, but life in you. What a promise that is. It reminds me of what happens in Jesus Christ when the woman takes that alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and she breaks it and she anoints Jesus' head with it and the fragrance fills the room. There's this aroma that comes from being poured out from this perfume broken for Christ. And so we too, in a sense, are broken by Christ. He uses suffering in his people's lives for his good purposes in our lives to fashion us more and more into the likeness of Christ. The Bible says this over and over again. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, puts it this way. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. There's this beautiful chain of what God is bringing about 
And suffering's the first link in the chain. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. And all of this is at work because God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work with the resurrection power of Christ. We could list some of the specific ways God teaches us that he intends to use hardship to mold us into the image of Christ. He uses it certainly to teach us to depend on his grace alone. He uses it to strengthen our commitment to him. He uses it to bind us together with other believers. He uses it to to foster sensitivity to others, that we be able to, to comfort those who are suffering in the ways that we might have suffered with the comfort that we have received of God. He certainly uses suffering to make us more aware of our attachment to this world and to lead us to deeper repentance over our sin. He uses it to teach us to give thanks in all things, even in times of sorrow. He uses it to strengthen our faith in the word of God. All of these things. Those are just some of the ways that the life of Jesus is revealed when God's power is at work in jars of clay, you and me. Look at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. What, what an amazing set of parallel words. We just read that and think, how can that be? It's not that the Bible discounts or minimizes the sufferings of this life and the evils of this world. They are very real. The Bible doesn't tell us somehow that pain is an illusion and just be stoic about it. The Bible doesn't say that. No, the the Bible acknowledges the, the pain and the brokenness and the sufferings of this world, the heartaches, the struggle, but it goes beyond that suffering. It says, death and suffering by Christ's power issue in life because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so we come to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Isn't that a picturesque description of what Christian experience is? If you've lived for any length of time, you know that's real. Your outer self is wasting away. You're a mortal being. They say that the cells of your organs start dying more than being replaced when you're about 34 or 35. So even if you feel young and strong still, you're on the pathway there. But the verse concludes, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, do we know something of this almost paradoxical experience inner self, wasting away, but this resurrection power of Christ renewing us day by day. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is hardship. But at the same time, there's this inner renewal going on that doesn't necessarily feel like something joyous, but it is something very powerful. God is at work. Mindy Bells, one of the writers for World Magazine last week reflected on the sufferings of this world at this time that we celebrate the Incarnation, and she especially uh, 
reflected on how the incarnation brings redemption into this world. And here's a portion of an article she wrote, and I just thought, when you think about suffering, you immediately tend to think about things like this. Listen to what she says in part. Sunday, September 22nd, 2013, Peshawar, Pakistan. In bright fall sunlight, and I assume bearing full hearts, worshipers are leaving All Saints Church when two members of the Taliban, each wearing vests weighed down with six pounds of hardwired explosives, show up at the church and blow themselves up near its entrance. The attack kills 84 churchgoers and seriously wounds another 146. Among the dead are two brides, married the day before, who returned for the Sunday service to give thanks for their marriages. Then later, Monday, September 23rd, 2013, the day after, Peshawar, Pakistan. The survivors returned to All Saints Church. Most of its parishioners live in a nearby colony for sanitation workers. They are garbage collectors and mostly poor, as are many Christians in Pakistan. Yet they have come back to the scene of the bombing. And Mindy Bells describes how they clean up the church and the churchyard. And she writes, as they work, they wail and weep and sob. Then they gather themselves into the pews, a very small collection now that their numbers have been so decimated, and they sing. They raise their hands in prayer and they worship the God who gave life and has taken it away. This is the kind of thing that happens every year. And we know that there are going to be more articles like that in the year to come. And what the Bible tells us is that God meets his people in their suffering with resurrection power, with the redemptive power of Jesus Christ to even enable us to worship God no matter what may come. But secondly, we learn in our text that God meets us in our suffering, giving us himself. God gives us himself even in suffering. In verses 16 and 17, we see this. We saw in verse 16, though our outer man is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, and by the way, it can only be called that because it's being compared to eternity. It's not minimizing the sufferings, but it's saying, you have to see it in light of eternity. It's saying, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's this phrase, the eternal weight of glory. C.S. Lewis has a sermon called The Weight of Glory, a word full of meaning. The idea of the glory of God and the weightiness of his glory. And certainly it means something about the ultimate goal of Christian experience, of knowing God. It relates back to verse 6. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul is describing the ultimate goal of his life, and he says, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we like that first part of that verse, But then Paul also goes on and says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
That's part of what God is doing as well. And then later in verse 14 of Philippians 3, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, the eternal weight of glory has to do with knowing God himself. That is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate prize. Heaven will be nothing without God present there. One writer has put it this way, it is the friendship of God reaching out to us through our trials that draws the bottom line of suffering. In other words, God puts a line under it and he meets us there and he fellowships with there and he sustains us because of his presence with us in it. Maybe we could think of it this way. How do human relationships work? If we want to grow closer to someone, then... We need to be with them. We need to talk with them. We need to be together. Uh, We need to work together. We need to find ways of shared interests. Those are all the elements of a human relationship. But in one sense, nothing binds two people together so much as suffering together. I think of the World War II generation and the band of brothers mentality that they all had. I was privileged to go to some of the final reunion of the final reunions of my father's division the 104th Timberwolf division and it was always amazing they they had their final reunion was the 65th and after that they were too old to gather anymore that was a few years ago but just seeing them after 60 plus years after the war when they still got together there was this immediate bond there was this immediate closeness and fellowship. And it's, it's something that was forged on the anvil of shared suffering. They've been through that war together, and they will always be united in some way because of that. And it's in that sense that I think the amazing truth of Scripture is illustrated for us that Jesus Christ delights in identifying with his people in their suffering. It's a marvelous thing. We enter into Christ's sufferings, in a sense, not any way in a redemptive way as if we participated in redemption, accomplishing redemption, but we enter into Christ's suffering through our union with him. That's what verse 10 is talking about when it says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. There's this sense that Christians participate and are unified to Christ in his suffering, in his resurrection. And at the same time, Jesus Christ identifies with his people in their suffering, and he sympathizes with them, and he helps them. And above all, his people come to know him better in suffering. Isn't that one of the experience of every Christian who's lived any length of time, that they know more deeply fellowship with their Savior through suffering. Isn't that one of the typical testimonies we have in our Thanksgiving Eve service when people stand up and give thanks to God, and sometimes they do say things like, it's been a great year, we've been very blessed. But more often than not, people stand up and say, last year was the most difficult year of my life. But I'll tell you this, I've never grown so much and I've never been so close to my Savior and Lord because he's been at work in my life at this time. I like the analogy of the Christian life as a beautiful lake. A beautiful lake fed by an underground 
stream. A lot of lakes across the United States are fed by underground streams. And you could look at suffering as digging that enlarges the lake. Suffering by God's hand is used to enlarge the lake of our experience of God, still fed by the underground stream, but now it can hold even more. And so I ask you, do you know something of this fellowship with Jesus Christ in suffering? Is that part of your experience? Really, we're talking about the way of the cross, that the Christian lives and walks in the way of the cross, following after Jesus Christ, laying down our self-sufficiency and our pride and our, our ways of sin and taking the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith every day and repenting and turning away from sin, trusting in him, and treasuring Jesus Christ above everything else in this life. That's the fellowship with Christ in the sufferings of this life. Whether it's normal, everyday sufferings, like the flat tire on the way to school or to work, or whether it's something profound that is a -a once-in-a-lifetime deep tragedy that you experience, there is the fellowship of Christ's suffering waiting for you, Christian, there with Christ. But we should also back up and say, if you haven't or aren't experiencing that at all, then could it be that you've never come to Jesus Christ? Maybe it is that you need to come to Jesus Christ by faith and enter into that fellowship of the way of the cross, that you claim Jesus Christ for your own and you repent of your sin and you turn to him and you submit your life to him and you begin to walk this road, which will involve suffering. But it will be good in the sense that it will be under God's sovereign care and love for his own. Well, thirdly, we find from our text that our calling and suffering is to keep holding to the unseen realities of God by faith. The Christian's calling and suffering is to keep holding to the unseen realities of God by faith. We see this in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That verse is highlighting our responsibility. Yes, there is a sense that it is primarily the work of God in our lives by which we daily receive the renewing resurrection power and life of Christ so that we don't lose heart. Yes, it's God who keeps his people to the end. Peter says we are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. The all-surpassing power is from God, and so thanks be to God. He is the one primarily at work, keeping his people for that great day. But all that being said, the Christian's responsibility is to keep holding to the word of God by faith. God's word calls us to fix our eyes in these unseen realities declared by the word of God so that we believe God and who he is and who he says he is, and we believe the promises of God for us in Christ, that these things are more true, we might say, than the very ground on which we stand. They are true and declared. But we know that's a fight of faith. And there is going to come a time when we enter into this eternal weight of glory, and it will no longer be by faith, it will be by sight. And then all suffering will be seen in its proper perspective. But until then... We walk by faith, not by sight. 
We have to fight the fight of faith. We have to remind ourselves. We have to preach the truth of God to ourselves every day. Many of you will remember July 16th, 1999, when John F. Kennedy's son, John Kennedy Jr., when the news hit that his plane had crashed off Martha's vineyard. He had taken a small plane from New Jersey and flown up there, and there was poor visibility and fog, and after the crash, the investigation was done, and it was declared that what they called spatial disorientation took place. Apparently, I've never experienced this because I don't fly planes, but apparently, if you're up there, the reason you need to be able to fly by instruments only is that there are times when visually you really don't know what's up and what's down. You can't see the horizon when there's fog and things like that, and it's very disorienting, and you begin to not know where you are. And the conclusion was apparently that John F. Kennedy wasn't experienced enough in flying in that way, and so, sadly, the plane crashed. I think that's such a good analogy of the Christian's walk of faith. We cannot walk by sight. There's too often darkness and fog and obscurity. Our path isn't clear to us. And if we're trying to walk by sight, we need to walk by faith instead. Walking by faith is like flying by the instruments. The instrument God's given us is the Word of God. It declares where we are and who we are and who God is. And so we hold to the Word of God and we keep walking according to that instrument, as it were, that declaration of the truth of God, and we hold to that. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. Someone has used the analogy, to change the analogy a bit, that the fight of faith is like a car race, where we're in this car race driving our car, and the devil is throwing mud onto our windshield so we can't see. Again, this idea of not being able to walk by sight. In this analogy, The wipers of the windshield are the word of God, and the windshield fluid is like the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't say that in any way discrediting or minimizing the work of the Spirit. Maybe it's a a crude analogy, but we need the word of God and the work of the Spirit, as it were, to loosen the mud, the dirt that gets on our windshield, so we can clearly see to walk by faith. All of these analogies fall short, but we need to remember We have this responsibility, and it is something that is easy to lose sight of in suffering. In suffering, we are easily overwhelmed and discouraged and give up, to some degree, the fight of faith. And we need to keep holding to these unseen realities of God's Word. Amy Carmichael was born in 1867 in the northern Ireland seacoast village of Mill Isle, County Down, She was raised in a strong Christian home. Her family was part of the Presbyterian Church at Ballycopeland. And in 1893, at the age of 25, she went as a missionary to India, where she did pioneering work with rescuing young girls from temple prostitution in India and maintaining an orphanage and a school there. For 36 years, she labored ceaselessly in the face of many hardships and an intense spiritual warfare with the kingdom of darkness. And then in 1931, after all these years, she stepped into a hole in the street and suffered a serious fracture of her leg and ankle. 
And the interesting thing that I bring up her example for us is that for the final 20 years of her life, she continued to labor through her leadership of the orphanage and her writings and letters, but she did so living almost entirely in one room of that orphanage for 20 years. Certainly a difficult thing and certainly a suffering that's very severe. But as a result of that, as many of you have found, there's this beautiful aroma of Christ that has been a blessing and that has helped thousands since then. There's the resurrection power of Christ that God uses in our suffering to bring out this beautiful aroma of Jesus. The aroma of Christ brought by God's hand through his people's suffering. That may be obvious through a person like Amy Carmichael. And we might tend to think, well, that's for the super spiritual or someone like that. But God's promise to work in such a way applies to every single one of us. And we need to keep that in mind. You can be sure that in 2014, if you belong to Jesus Christ through faith in him, he will be working his goodwill in your life. And one of his chosen instruments for each one of us will be his gift of suffering. Keep trusting in his unfailing love. Keep fighting the fight of faith. And one day you will see face to face the result in the eternal weight of glory. Amen. Father, thank you for the declaration of your word that it speaks to each one of us, that none of us knows what's going to happen when we walk out of this room or what's going to befall us this week or next year. We have dreams, we have plans, we have hopes, we have expectations. These are not wrong, but we submit them all to you. And we say, Lord, whatever you would bring into my life, may my heart be fixed on Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. We pray that you would work for your glory in each one of us in this coming week and in the rest of this new year. For Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.